What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. I know that you come from more of the spiritual side, but is there anything from the tactical and, and side that you would say, Here's the first thing that we have to start doing to better our situation for not only ourselves, but to be on the right path to building a legacy. Is there ever like a two or three step process that you try to at least give people nuggets on? The number one thing, the the number one thing, and something that you have to do constantly is, is write a vision. And you have to have a vision, but you also need to write a vision. And you need to write it as detailed as you can possibly get it to be. And the reason why you got to do that, man, is because you got to, Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. You got to, you got to start with the end in mind. I think everyone, I, I, I hear people say stuff like, you know, I wake up and just, I don't like to plan my day. I like to see where the day leads me. I, I don't let my day lead me nowhere. I, I, I'm determining how this day is going to go. Because I, there are a lot of people who are in depression because their day led them into depression. They look outside and see the weather. And, oh, it's a great day. I guess I guess it's going to be one of those sad days. No, you have to determine your day. You have to determine your month. You have to determine your year. You have to determine the next five years. What I'm asking people, what I'm asking millennials and Gen Z to do right now is describe 10 years for me. Describe what 15 years from now look like. Just let's think about it. This idea of... Just live for the day. I get it. Enjoy the day. Take the day in. Appreciate all the stuff that's happening within this day. But the best way to maximize today is by declaring my tomorrow, by saying, mm-hmm. by saying because I know where I'm going, let me maximize what I'm doing in this day because I know where I'm headed. And I think there are too many people who have no clue where they are going. They are literally one Monday, they're one way. Tuesday, they're a basketball player. Wednesday, they're astronaut. Friday, they're gangster. It's like, can you can you make up your mind? And I think, yes, things change. Did we expect a pandemic? No. Well, let me ask you a question. I'm asking you a question. I know you're interviewing me, but were you doing this before the pandemic? Oh, absolutely. And and with the pandemic, are you stopped doing this or this is what you do? That's what I do. That's what I'm saying. So we know things happen along the way. But but I actually think that when you have a plan, you are more prepared for change and for shifts to happen quickly. But those people who are just living life and don't know where you want to be in 10 years, I don't know how you can build a legacy. And this is what I believe. If you don't take time to build your own legacy, you will spend the rest of your life building someone else's. And I think that you need to start to determine what do I want my legacy to look like in the next five years. What has been your biggest obstacle that you've had to overcome, you think? Myself. I mean, it's the mindset that we deal with every day. I mean, we're humans. Like, as human beings, we just have this imposter syndrome, this fear, this doubt, this anxiety. You know, it's like everything's going so great, but what if it all crashes down tomorrow? And, you know, frankly, Casanova, I kind of compounded that a little bit by asking every one of my guests, what is your biggest failure? What is your biggest flop falling on your face ever? And I got to hear 2000 people tell me these crazy, sad, devastating stories. And that just to me reinforced like, oh my God, like everything's here today, gone tomorrow. So man, the most important thing 
is you need to surround yourself with the right people. You've got to have a mastermind of people that you look up to that are positive, optimistic, mindset of abundance. You know, you've got to have that mentor who's there, who's guiding you, holding you accountable as well. Because if you're just a solo individual trying to take this on your own, you're going to have these roller coasters of emotions, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. Like it's just the world of being an entrepreneur. And man, I experienced those to this day. And, you know, and I'm eight years into my journey, you know, I've achieved, you know, massive levels of both financial and just overall success. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, I still struggle with these mindset challenges because I'm a human being and it's never going to end. And that's not to scare people, but that's just to encourage people to surround yourself with other people that you know have the right mindsets. And number two, to realize that, hey, even people that you look up to and admire, they're struggling with the same mindset things that you're struggling with right now. And so that doesn't change and embrace that and move forward. Man, I love it. And I know that you're big on habits, right? And you're big on doing things that bring productivity. I believe I was reading the blog and you were talking about the 80-20, right? And even at last month, you know, figuring out what is the thing that brings me 80%, right? And what's that 20 that's not driving it? Looking back on your career and everything that you've been able to accomplish, like you said, what's that one habit or what's the one thing that you wish that you would have implemented sooner to get your business on a faster scale? This is something I implemented three years too late. Like if I had been able to implement this sooner, and again, three years sooner would have been ideal, like things just would have been better overall for me. And that is a morning routine. You know, Mm. so many of us just kind of wake up when we wake up, especially when you're entrepreneurs, you know, that's why we do it. Cause we're like, oh, we don't have an alarm. We don't have a a boss who expects us at work at a certain time. So, you know, people just start to wake up when they wake up and that's part of the freedom. And then they just like, okay, now what am I going to do today? Okay. Let me go make some coffee. Okay. Let me go look at my email. Okay. Let me check my social media. Then like, well, it's 12 o'clock and I haven't done anything yet. And like, honestly, that was me for a significant amount of time. And finally, I just looked in the mirror and I said, wow, man, like, I love those people who just like get more stuff done before 9am than the rest of the world does all day. Like, that was me in the army, you know, by force, not because I wanted to, but they made me get up at 5 a.m. And they made me bust my butt until 9 a.m. And then they will look at us and be like, soldiers, how do you feel that you just got more stuff done before 9 a.m. than the rest of the day today? And I was like, actually, that kind of does feel good. And so as an entrepreneur, I was like, how can I bring that back? And to me, and again, it took me three years to get there, but I was like, I got to implement a morning routine, man, because I don't have you know, a drill sergeant screaming at me anymore. Like I've got to be my own version of that drill sergeant. And so I created a morning routine that I was waking up at 6am. I was exercising first thing. I was meditating. I was journaling. I was focusing on me, on the health and wellness of my mind and body and spirits. In Casanova, like when I made that shift, everything changed because my energy got better. My sense of accomplishment got better. My productivity, my discipline, my focus everything improved because I was able to to commit those first 90 minutes every single day to my personal routine. I think everybody's personal routine should be different, but it needs to be a a morning routine that works for you. 
man, how important do you think that having a team is in the beginning to being able to grow and have a sustainable business? Because there's a lot of people that want to be entrepreneurs, but yet we stay in the path of solopreneur. We got to do everything ourselves. We got to do our own paid ads. We got to do our own sales. We got to do our own accounting. Like how big of a deal is that to you in the beginning? Do you think that everybody should be trying to figure it all out and then hiring? Or do you think we hire somebody smarter than us? This is a good question. Good question. I think it matters because what you have to do is you have to design your life before you design your business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of my favorite quotes. And, and what it means is it depends on what you want, right? If somebody tells me, Hey, Billy, I just want to make like, you know, 5k to 10k, you know, being happy and just making some money. And I'm like, yeah, learn how to do all this shit yourself because that's where you're going to be. If you want to scale and you grow, you cannot do it by yourself. Like you have to have other people in place. Like it's just the math of like, when you really understand a business at scale, it's, it's required, it's necessary. You know, it's just like, you know, it's like jump rope, right? Like it requires one person on one end to, to twirl the thing. Now you may be able to jerry rig it and kind of like do some weird one person shit for limited time, but it, the, the task requires more people. That's what business is. It requires more people. All businesses are the same. People think they're different. They're all the same. They require more people, but um, you know, it just depends on what you want. Unless you're some kind of rocket science engineer that can develop some kind of, you know, inventor or problem. And then at that point, you still it's not your team, but you sell it to somebody else who does have a team. Like if you license a, a program or something. So that doesn't mean you can't make money, you know, solo by yourself and make a lot of it. It just depends on what your design is. Like, what are you trying to do? So I guess the question is, it's, it's different for every single person. You so know, it you, just depends on where you want to go. Yeah. For you, if it's having the business that you have now, right, where you're making five to $10 million a year, Somebody else says, you know what? I would love to do that. I would love to be able to afford to live in California, have a team like that. What if you had to start all over again, what's the first hire that you make? You have to hire who is ever, whatever task is reducing your ability to focus on profit producing activities. So what does that mean? The company makes money, most likely in most companies, when you're selling. So if you are spending time fulfilling, like doing some busy work, you need to hire those things out immediately so that you can focus on PPAs, profit producing activities. Mm-hmm. That is the game in the beginning. And so no matter who you are, if you really evaluate, here's, here's the trick. Here's the whole game. 90-10. Everybody write that down if you're listening. 90-10. 90-10. This, is, this, this right here is the swap that would be the game changer for everyone. And it's so simple and nobody does it. So I'm going to give everybody a little test right here. Okay. If I have to audit your day, real shit, real shit. If I have to audit your day, meaning I'm standing next to you all day for 24 hours and I'm looking at you as your entrepreneur career and I'm taking your average day, not just the day when you know I'm going to be there. Did you spend 90% of that day asking for money? Hmm. Period. That is what business is, asking people to buy in exchange for something. And growth happens when you can make offers at scale. So you get smart and you learn things. At first, most people make all their offers one-on-one on a phone call. But then you realize, well, if I have enough margins, I can bring in some salespeople and then they can also ask offers. And then I can bring in another salesperson. They can make more offers. Okay, cool. Now I have a sales team right? They're making offers at scale. Oh, I realized I can do this thing called Facebook. That's this Billy Jean guy talks about. I can spend $5 a day and I can ask another thousand people. 
Awesome. Well, there's this other thing called YouTube where I can ask another thousand people. Awesome. Well, I can also connect here and, and go on this podcast and make another, you know, thousands offer. Well, then I can make another offer. That's the game. It's mass offering. That's it. It's mass offering. That's how you do business. But if I look at everyone's day and I evaluate in 2019, how many people on average did you guys ask a day? It's probably on a single hand. It's probably single digits. But yet everyone is so confused as to why they're not, not making money. Right. And it is the most blatant thing ever. You didn't ask enough people. Hmm. Then people say, because I'm so busy. Well, there's your other problem. You lack clarity. You overcomplicate everything. Your business should be so simple. You can say it in one sentence. And if not, you need to rework it now. 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 Because it can be too complicated to scale. One sentence is what you get. One wow. sentence is what you get. Right? I love like I sell it. packs of gum. Right? I sell speakers. I say, you know what I mean? I clean yeah. carpets for money. Like it has to be that simple because that's when it clicks. So in the info product world though, right? Because all those things were physical products, but in the info product- I teach entrepreneurs how to advertise on Facebook. Okay. Right? I, yeah. I write follow-up emails for small businesses. Hmm. I, cre I create retargeting ads on YouTube for real estate agents. Like that's the game. That's the challenge. And it takes discipline, right? Because you have to now choose. And that's the point of the exercise is you have to now choose because the more variables, the more complications, the more time it requires. And usually the more people it requires and the more expertise it requires. And all those things eat into your margin and they eat into your time, which essentially stops you from implementing the 90-10 rule. <laughs> I love it. So would yeah. you say that... The just like the common saying goes, the riches are in the niches. Do you think that somebody starting out must be niche down? I think it's the, the riches are in the niches, but this is where people don't think. They think about the audience, but they forget to niche down their product. Hmm. That's the real game. It's offering one thing, you know, and if you can offer that same thing to multiple niches, but the delivery is the same all the time, then that's fine. But that's what, that's what people are missing is they usually can't. Like if your process requires you where every single time you have a new client, it's like hitting the drawing board and taking from a screen and you have to take a silent where it's different, that business is not scalable and it's going to be really hard to maintain profits and getting clients is going to be difficult too because your message is fucking all over the place. Hmm. You're lost. Did you have somebody or was your mindset always like this? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people right now, they're struggling and mentorship has been the big thing over the last year, two years. Mm -hmm. I need somebody to help me. I need a yeah. mentor. Chris, will you coach me? Do you, yeah. did you ever start out that way? Did you have one person that really helped mm -hmm. you and challenged your mindsets and now you're at this spot in life? Well, I want to be careful how I answer the question because there's a lot of people that have helped me. And so like I've learned from a lot of people, you know, whether it's, you know, authors and like people online, but more just like regular people in my life or like other aid workers that I worked with in Africa. And like, they don't have, you know, social media, you know, huge followings or anything. Uh, they're just like, you know, changing the world and like serving and such. So I, I've learned from a lot of people, but a big part of my, my message is about self-reliance. And I think a lot of people are, are looking, they look sometimes to, you know, to somebody to tell them what to do when they already know what they need to do. Or they like they're just afraid to do it. They're looking for somebody else to give them permission. You know, it's like a lot of people that go on Shark Tank or whatever. They like, like they're they're hoping that somebody will. It's not just about the check. It's like they want Mark Cuban or whoever to say like, yes, you can go and start your business. And like, go for this. 
and they don't need that. You know, like they can, you can do this on your own. Like there, there are a lot of answers that you can figure out, you know, whether it's something technical or, I know something else. Like, I don't think you need somebody who's like always telling you like, here's how, here's how you find your path. I think most of us find our path by going down different paths, you know, Mm. and you might make some mistakes. That's okay. Right. If you don't make mistakes, like if you're achieving a hundred percent of what you're trying to, to accomplish, then I think your goals are too small. Right. Like your goal is like, I'm going to walk down and get the mail today and come back. Like, okay, I did it a hundred percent success. Well, you need to have a better goal than that. And that's huge because just like you said, a lot of us, we already know what to do because we've been living this life. We've we've had other mentors, whether it was our parents, yeah. whether it was teachers or somebody who's kind of tried to help put us on the right, you know, straight and narrow mm. path. And they've given us some of their wisdom. But yet, even though we know better, we don't do mm. better. And a lot mm. of the times it just comes down to discipline. Yeah. Right. And sure. so for you, I wanted to ask, what is your because. You said, hey, I made this a goal. This is how I'm going to stand out. And now for 1,200 and some odd days, you've committed to that goal and still staying true to it. What's Mm. that tip for discipline? How do you stay disciplined and committed enough to to finish things out like this? Okay, so two tips. The first thing is I think that the number one thing you can do to be productive and disciplined is to be doing something that you actually want to do. Because it's really hard to like just motivate yourself and be like, suck it up, you know, one more, one more day, I'm going to keep going. Like you can do that for a time, but that's very discouraging. In the long term, like we're, we're motivated to do work that we believe in, to do something that we, we care about. So I would spend a lot of time on the front end trying to figure out what that thing is. And then that's, that motivation itself is very powerful. But then second, like once you start building a habit, if you build it for enough time, and I don't know if it's like the 21 day thing or 30 days or however long after, after a while, it becomes easier to, to keep it going than it is to break it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's going to be harder for you to stop doing something than it is to keep doing it. So like with my like Apple watch, I got this streak going for like more than a year now every day I'm getting my steps and my workout and stuff. And like, I don't want to stop. Like for me to stop it, it would be harder than to just, okay, it's 8 PM and I haven't, you know, ran today or haven't done any exercise, I got to get out and do it. So a streak, a streak can be really powerful and it's hard in the beginnings. It's a new habit, but whatever it is that you're trying to do, if you're trying to like eat healthier, I don't know, like the longer that you do it, the easier it's going to be to keep doing that thing. And so the beginning, it was this one-on-one, like so many entrepreneurs, one hand to hand, one-on-one. And I remember literally, I used to Google and read everything I could find about marketing and growth. And I remember reading an article about scaling. I'm like, well, what's that? They were like, well, that's how you take your your business or whatever from one level to the next. And I was like, okay, well, I want to make at least $2,000 a month. If I'm charging $100 a person, that's 20 people a month. Dang, can I really do that? That doesn't. What scale? Mm. Well, how do I scale if I want to make $1,000 a month? Hmm. So instead of one to one, what about one to few? So then my mentor at the time said I should look for contracts. And so I emailed everyone I could think of because I did a lot of volunteer work. I emailed all the people I volunteered for said, Hey, it's me, Tiffany. I volunteered at your organization in some capacity, teaching financial education or sometimes just feeding the homeless. But I teach financial education. I would love to do so for your organization. Someone from the United Way reached back out. I ended up um, writing curriculum for them. Because by, by when I was 26, I got my master's in education. I thought I was going to become a principal. Hated it, so I wasn't. But I did learn how to write curriculum. And so I leaned into the skills that I had, right? So I wrote the curriculum for the United Way and taught the six-week course. So now we're one to few. I'm a teacher in the classroom once again. The United Way paid me, I want to say they started with $300 a class. So all of a sudden, 
you know, what I used to have to work three people with, I can make it with within that same two hours I can make with these people who are sitting here. I was like, okay, now we're cooking with grease. And I convinced the United Way to let me do a six week series. I was like, oh, I have a six week series. Who had a six week series? I made it up though. I was like, make one up. Right. So I was like, ooh, six week series, six times three is $1,800. Boom, bam. Okay. Now one to few. Then I convinced them, how about I do my series on Tuesdays and Thursdays? So now all of a sudden I'm making $600 um, a week. I'm like, boom, bam. Okay. But so that was one to few. And I thought about scale again. How many of these series do I have to do to make $10,000 in a month? Every So Jim Carrey has this great story about how he wrote himself a check. Yeah. And when he was like dead broke, right? And he and he would take that check out and look at, I think it was like a $10 million check or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote myself a $10,000 check. Like I'm gonna make $10,000 in one month. That was, so setting goals is so critically important. I have, I, I keep notebooks where I set goals about how much I need to make or what I wanna, especially my financial goals, right? And so I set this goal of like, I wanna make $10,000 in a month. So I was like, well, dang, how many United Way series do I have to do to get to $10,000 a month? That don't scale. Right. You know, so then I started thinking, okay, one to one doesn't scale, but it's a good place to start because it helped me hone my skills. One to few doesn't scale, but it was a good place to start because it helped me hone my skills for a wider audience. It's one thing to tailor something for an individual person, but like if I'm teaching a classroom, I had to learn how to teach where the general public could understand. So I learned that there, but still didn't scale. I said, what about one to many? Hmm, what's one to many? I started reaching out to my friends who had uh, sisters and brothers in college. It was like, how does that speaker that comes, how do they speak? One of the gentlemen, he went to my friend Ladoon, his brother was actually president of the junior or something class at King University. And he said, oh, we get speakers. Basically, we choose. I said, well, how do y'all choose? He's like, we just find them. I said, well, find me. <laughs> you know, he was like, okay. That was, it was, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wait. He said, the way it works is that Colleges, they work out the finances ahead of time and right. it trickles down to the kids and then the kids make the decision. So I was like, well, let me start going to school to school to school because I remember Keene University, they pay me $1,700 to speak. So now I'm like, oh, one to many, right. right? So I don't have to work, you know, like uh, three or uh, six weeks for the United Way to make that. I can do this with one. To- okay. So I started to do more colleges and universities and, and things like that. So I was like, okay, one to many, you can, it's the, it's way more people, same time tax on me, but way more money back. I said, okay. Okay. So now, and then I made my first $10,000 in a month. I was like, yes, I did it. And then I started thinking, well, huh, I wonder, well, how do people make like a million dollars? What does that look like? So I was like, okay, it's not one-to-one. It's not one-to-few. It's not even one-to-many. Although there are some speakers who make a million dollars speaking, but honestly, I had friends who were making like half a million and they were speaking 300 days out of 365 years. And I was like, yeah, I'm not interested in that. Right. So then what does one to infinite look like, Tiffany? Infinite, infinite, infinite. And by then I had launched my first literature challenge. It was a free online resource that I still launch every single year. And my goal was to sign up 10,000 women for that challenge. And we signed up 10,000 women. It took me a full year to convince 10,000 people to join. But by the end of that of the year, so we had 10,000 do the original live challenge. It's an email course. It's a month-long email course. And by the end of that month-long email course, people had told their friends and I automated it. And by the end of that year, we had 20,000 people signed up. And then next year, when I launched the, the savings version of that uh, literature challenge, we had 50,000 people by then. So it was like, okay. So right. by the time, 
So it was like a light bulb went on. I was like, huh, these literature challenges are digital. That's like an infinite number of people, like whatever, you know, meaning like, you know, there's 7 billion people in the world, but that's basically the, like, you know, not technically an infinite number of people, but basically there's no limit to how many people I can reach if I'm using the internet, if I'm using online. Huh. What does that look like? So I asked my audience what they wanted. And it, after really extracting what they wanted, it really sounded like they wanted an online school. So I built an online school. And yeah. after the, that was, I want to say like six years in to the budget Nista, six or seven years into the budget Nista. And when it's first, within its first year, it made a million dollars in a year, the first year wow. and a half. And now just two months ago, we made our first million dollars in a month. That's wow. one to infinite. And so now we're eight figure year business. But do you see how from one-on-one, like you can give me $50, tell me with this budget. Right. right. So, Start where you are yes. with what you have. So one to few, but also the key is that I think, especially for women too, is that you have to be in, intentional about the growth. I could have just said, I wish somebody would come on and get me and see how talented I am. No, I was like, one-to-one, I'm doing this, but how do I scale? How do I actively participate in my growth? Okay, well, I could do this one to few. Okay, well, how do I actively participate in the next level? It's not just going to fall into your lap because I have a business like so many women's businesses that are um, that's service-centric, right? We do a lot of good. We give a lot of weight for free. And so a lot of women and you know are in that zone where they're like service, 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 give, give, give. And I believe in that. You know, I would say the majority of what we do, honestly, we don't get paid for. But so many um women and new entrepreneurs get stuck there, those who want to be of service, as if you can't help good people um, do good work and make good money. Right? right. And so I have to have a service plan, which we do, but I also have to have a business financial plan, which we do. So that that is equally as important. And so those two things, I'm always mindful as like, you know, how can we do as much good work as possible? But also too, like, what's the financial plan behind this? How are we going to monetize the pieces that we can monetize? So you, ha- you have to consciously participate in that growth. I, like, even when it seems impossible, I, I know people don't, it's like, when I read the Tim Ferriss book, um, the four hour work weekend, and by then I, when I finished, by the time I really was really going through, I had lost my job already. I was sleeping like on my sister's uh, couch and uh, for a year. And I remember writing down, he has this, he has this activity that you do that you have to write down the life that you really want lifestyle design. And then you have to ask yourself how much I think each component of my life would, would like to get this done will cost. Yeah. I remember one of the things, things I wanted to do was I wanted to give to my parents. I wanted to retire them. There's all these things I wanted. So I wrote down everything. And then I wrote down how much I thought each of those things would cost. And it said that I had to make $300,000 a year. That's what I added up to. Meanwhile, I'm sleeping on my sister's couch. My house has already been foreclosed upon. I don't have any income. I'm scraping just to get people to give me $50 to sit down with them for two hours for a budget. And meanwhile, my dreams on paper say it's $300,000 a year. I remember looking at it like, okay, we got a hill to climb up. But I was just like, I kind of put it to the side. And I was just like, okay. I mean, but I mean, it was discouraging, but I was just like, I mean, this is what you said that you want. I put it to the side, you know, but now, I mean, me as Tiffany personally, I make six figures a month, you know, which is so crazy because, and me writing that was probably was like, it was maybe seven, eight years ago. In seven years, I went from sister's couch to, I hope this person got my 50 when I see them to, to seven figures in a month. I'm not talking about seven figures in a, I'm a six figures in a month. I'm not talking about as a business. I'm talking about me as Tiffany, my take home pay. 
there's somebody out there right now that is inspired by you. There's, I'm sure, hundreds, if not thousands of people that will find this at some point in their life and become a dream catcher and a mm-hmm. part of your tribe. But right now, maybe they have that low voice in their head that says they're not smart enough, they're not strong enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. Mm-hmm. What's the one thing that you say to that person to get them to just take action? I say, you don't have to figure out the whole way. I live in New Jersey and I always think to myself, like if I had to drive to California and I was waiting for my headlights to shine the whole way, you would just never get started Mm. because headlights don't shine the whole way. Headlights understand that all they have to worry about and your car knows it's the next best step. That's it. So the way headlights work is that you're in a car and it shines like what, 60 feet ahead of you. And then when you close that gap, the next 60 feet is revealed. And that's how it works is that you're feeling like, I don't know all the things you're not meant to. I don't have, you're not not supposed to. What do you know? Well, I I mean, I could Google Will Smith wisdom. Boom. That's it. That's the next best step. Once you Google Will Smith wisdom and watch, you're the next step will reveal. The next 60 feet in your car will be revealed because he's going to say, say something that's going to spark a thing. Like, well, I should go get that book. You're going to read that book. And then something in that book is going to spark a thing and make, make you say, you know what? I'm going to reach out to my friend who says something when you're going to reach out to that friend and that friend is going to get ne- give you the key. It's like literally like it's like playing a video game where you're collecting the things along the way. You know, you don't need to know all the steps. You're not even supposed to know all the steps. You're supposed to just know the next best step. Sometimes it's a Google search. Sometimes it's watching a YouTube channel. Sometimes it's listening to a podcast. Sometimes it's reading a book. Sometimes it's speaking to a friend. Sometimes it's just thinking. Sometimes it's making a list. So you don't have to know the the whole way. You're not meant to have all the resources now. You wouldn't know what to do if Oprah called you right now. What you going to do? Do you have a ring light so you don't look crazy on TV? I got a ring light, but you know when I learned how to get that ring light? I got this ring light four years ago. I wasn't ready for Oprah four years ago. Right. uh, 10 years ago, I used to like not know how to... um, like I had, I have locks, so I didn't know how to retype my own edges. I just did own, I did a, this new show on own called Fear Not with Ayana Bon. Yeah. And like, imagine doing it would force me to learn how to do my own hair because I was like, oh my goodness, like I don't have no money to get my hair done. But guess what? My hair was laid on Fear Not with Ayana. You want to know why? Because 10 years ago, I unlocked the cheat code for learning how to do my own locks. But do you see? That so many people want to go from door one to door 10, but the key you need to open door 10 is at door three. And mm. the map you need for, to, for the journey in door 10 is at door four. And the person that's going to give you the passcode is at door six. You try to skip all the steps, you're going to get to door 10 for nothing because you're not able to navigate when you get there. You need to go through the steps so you can collect the tools, the resources, and the lessons that you're going to need to be able to maintain the dream that you seek. The work is in the reaping, not the sowing. When someone told me that, I was like, wait a minute, what do you mean? She's like, everybody thinks, um, I gotta do the hard work. Ooh, I'm sowing the seeds, I'm sowing the seeds. It's so much hard work. She said, girl, what's harder, putting a seed in the ground or when that corn actually grows, cutting the corn down, cleaning the, the, cleaning the corn off, taking the corn back out, you know, like what's harder? You know what I mean? Right, the work right. is in I the love it. in the reaping, not the sowing. You know, Man. so so you're thinking like, okay, it's so hard now, but it's not like you're yeah. like you need these lessons in order to maintain the dream that you seek. The reaping is where the real gangster the gangster work is, and so yeah, just just keeping that in mind. What is the next best step? A phone call, a list being made, an, an email, a podcast. 
And the next best step will be revealed after that. I promise that every step shows you the next step of the way. Talk to us about that framework, because for a lot of people, I think the framework could still be the same, but they want to get their message out there. There's a lot of people that are listening to this right now or they're watching this and they're saying, hey, where do I start if I want to get my message out there? Do I need a big email list? Do I need, you know, a product that's been doing thousands already? Like, what does that look like? What would you recommend for somebody? If I hopped on a call with you right now and I said, hey, you know what? I got a message. I got a story. Where do we start? Yeah, the first thing that I always start with, uh, it's actually two things. And it's kind of a Venn, di- <clears throat> excuse me, Venn diagram of two circles that really help us hone in on the positioning of the business. And positioning is a marketing and branding term, but it's like, where are you going to sit in the marketplace? What do you want to be known for? And who do you want to serve? So it, it answers three questions. Who are you? Who do you want to serve and how are you going to serve them? So it all starts really with knowing, first of all, in yourself, what's the vision that you want to create for the future? What do you want to be recognized for? You know, getting very alignment with that vision for your own work and, and uh, legacy, if you will. But then everything else starts stemming from the audience. So we would start talking a lot about who is your target audience. You mentioned the word avatar earlier that gets used sometimes as well. And we're not talking just demographics. We're also talking about like really knowing, okay, what, what are their uh, top of mind pains right now? What's motivating this, them? You know, what are they actively looking for and ready and wanting to invest in? You know, a lot of times I think we get, we talk about, oh, what's my topic or what's my niche or what's my expertise? And those, you know, those things are, are important and good too, but really it needs to start with like, who can I serve best in this world and who would I enjoy serving best? Because if your messaging and your products and everything coming from a very audience and customer centric place, you're going to have a much easier time selling stuff for one. You're going to have a much bigger impact and you're going to create a greater value in the world. So it's customer first and then product and messaging later. So that's where it starts is, you know, I have, even when I, whether I'm working with somebody who's like brand new, really do, you know, maybe they've written a book and stuff, but they're really pretty new at doing online stuff or whether I'm talking to somebody who's, you know, got a seven figure business and been online for a while, we're always doing some work around positioning and digging back into their audience and having them um, not just run surveys, but really have the right kinds of conversations with people in their market so that they can recalibrate and reconnect with what the market wants and then make sure that their offerings and messaging and brand and everything are aligning with that while obviously still staying true to the vision and their strengths and goals that they want as well. So it really starts with very foundational stuff like that. It's, it's, not, it's strategic. It's not even tactical. You know, we don't even talk about necessarily uh, email list at first. In fact, often I get people to launch a course and get going even before they have an email list because what are we as entrepreneurs if we can't create value and sell it. So let's make that happen as soon as possible. That would be the next thing is once we clear on the audience and we identify a specific pain that they have that you know you can solve for them, then it would be let's get a pilot course to the market. And you know, even if you don't have a list, we can, you know, you can pound the pavement using social media, using your network, and you can get a handful of people to, I mean, maybe work with you for free, but even to pay you a little bit of something just to prove that it's like, oh, people want this. And then you start forming what your process is for working with them and adjusting it as you work with these initial people, get some initial testimonials, maybe some cash in the door, and that's going to catalyze the rest of everything else. Then you can start building out the infrastructure of your email list and your funnels and other stuff. But it's like, know who you want to serve, get something to market and test it, make a bit of money, get some success stories, and then you can start building on that. Is it truly a choice of just, because there's two different things, um, which is, on one side, you're finding a problem, right? And you say, oh, I could solve that problem, whatever it is. Or is it, hey, here's the people that I, I want to choose to go after, which is, it kind of, I guess, goes from passion, passion or profit, 
But you, which one would you say is most important in the beginning? Should you go after your passion or your profit? Well, it's got to be both. And I think that's, you know, that's why I said that, like that Venn diagram. I mean, we could say like the one side of the Venn diagram is you. And so that's where passion needs to come in. It's like, what are you, what's your unique genius? What are your strengths? What's your vision? What do you want for your legacy? What do you want for your lifestyle? And then the other piece of the Venn diagram is another circle. It's like the audience, what are their pains? What do they need? What do they want most? What are they ready to spend money on and invest time and energy in? And so if you take those two circles, you essentially have passion from you and what could be profitable because the marketplace wants it and looks at it and you can help the marketplace with that. And so where those two circles overlap, like that's where your strategy lies. When you're making decisions about what's my next offer or my first offer, what's my messaging, what social media platform should I be using? I mean, everything strategic needs to fall right in the middle of where those two circles overlap. And that's what I call an aligned strategy. And sometimes people come to work with me, already have successful businesses, and they're just like, yeah, something's off. Something doesn't feel great. I, I'm not enjoying teaching my courses anymore, whatever the case may be. And that's where I bring them back. And I have frameworks to check in with both of those circles again, recreate the Venn diagram, and then usually looking at it, they're like, okay, yeah, I can see why I'm not happy in my business anymore. So let's adjust this, this, and this, and get, bring it back into the center where it's going to be you know, passion and profit again. What are those three things that you're going to leave to try to make this world a better place when it's all said and done? What will people remember you for? Those three things. Well, I know on the first one, I will say this, boy, boy, three. Okay. So the first one, I would say there's nothing wrong with you. It's just fear. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just fear. Maybe I would leave the one that I just shared, which is the secrets, the secrets that you hide are the stories you must tell, right? And then, boy, the third one coming up for me right now, this is coming through me based on the conversation we have is like, you are worth forgiving. So yeah, I think you are worth forgiving. And uh, because I think that's one of the hardest things people wrestle with is they haven't forgiven themselves for what they still haven't done, even though they have a dream, they haven't forgiven themselves for having a dream and not acting on it. Right. Hmm. Right. So a lot of people have a dream. They're not acting on it and they have to forgive themselves. I remember I was working with an entrepreneur and he said to me, so I'm working with this group of entrepreneurs and one guy stands up and is like, okay, well, I need, I, I need to stop. So I need to solve this problem. And I'm like, well, what problem? He goes, well, I make a lot of money. Then I lose it. I make a lot of money. I lose it. I make a lot of money. and I lose it. And he goes, and it's the same thing my grandfather did and my same thing my father did. Make a lot of money, lose it. And I looked at him and I said, you must forgive them. And he's like, what? Because he wanted a strategy, right? He wanted me to tell him, right? I said, you must forgive them because you're carrying on in order to connect to your mother, your father and your grandfather, you're, you're, you're holding the line. Like you're doing the same thing they did. It's a way of love. Like you're loving them by doing that. You're accepting them by doing that. You're, you're connecting, right? So you have to forgive them and you have to decide that you are willing to break the family chain in order to set your own path. But the only way to do that is to forgive them. And he's like looking at me wanting money tips. And I go, trust me, when you forgive them, you will make money and you will keep it. I got it. I love it. The last thing that I want to say is someone out there right now is super inspired by you. They can't wait to reach out to you. They can't wait to connect with you. They can't wait to get mentorship and some type of wisdom and guidance from you. But they have that little voice in your head. I'm sure you know what little voice I'm talking about. But that little voice in their head tells them that maybe they're not strong enough, they're not smart enough, or they just don't even have enough resources. 
What's the one thing that you would say to that person to get them to just take action? Mm. Wow. Such good questions you have. If they were in front of me right now and they desperately wanted to change their life, but they had not done it yet. They've been, you know, on hold, right? They've been quote unquote stuck, right? This is what's moving through me right now. And if you ask me tomorrow, maybe something else would move through me. But right now what's moving through me is it isn't, you know, it is not you. Hmm. It is not you that's holding you back. It is fear. And you, my friend, must decide, is fear going to run your life or are you going to run your life? Now, I'm going to teach you and show you and guide you and coach you to help you understand how your fear works so you never are held back again. Because it is not your fault that your past happened. It is fear trying to keep you safe. And so I have a pathway to take you from A to A.1 to A.2 to B to D to Z all the way across. And I'm going to take you. I'm going to hold your hand throughout the whole thing because I got you. And there is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. It's just fear. And you get to decide, is fear going to make your next move or are you going to make your next move? Are you going to decide or is fear going to decide? How did you know how to price your stuff? Because, oh, you know, you're getting things that that no one ever experienced before. So all of a sudden you're talking about, you know, shutting down museums. Like, how did you know what to charge people? So our greatest success and growth comes from our greatest failures and and ruin. And the amount of times at the early stage where someone would say, oh, I want to do this. And I'll be like, well, okay, I know he's rich. I know he's not going to, you weigh it up in your head. Right. And you go, well, if it was, if it's 10 grand, he's going to be okay with that because he can easily afford 10 grand. If it's a hundred grand, ooh, that's a bit too much. I learned very early on that if you ever get to a point where you're arguing the price tag, it's because you failed to demonstrate the value and content in what you're providing. Hmm. That's a very important lesson I learned. It early. is. And I learned that lesson because I would look at it and I'd go, okay, so to me, the racing drivers for Ferrari in Monaco, it would be, and there was a lot of guesstimates. And the amount of times in the early stage, I would go, ah, oh, it's 25 grand. And they'd be like, great, here's your 25 grand. And then, and I remember this lesson from my dad. And then I would go to Ferrari and I'd get the drivers and I'd get access. Suddenly I realized it's 32 grand. I've spent seven grand more right. than what the clients paid me, you know? So you learn how to price by things like, let me get back to you, working out what your liabilities are, working out like 20% give or take could go wrong. So you, you, you get used to it. But I remember once when I was a bricklayer with my dad, I said to my dad, look, I priced it at 300 bucks and you know, it's come out at $310. How do I go back to him? And I remember my dad looking at me in the eyes. He said, you don't. He said, you've just learned how to price. Everything that you fail at is education on what not to do. He mm. said, but the one thing you can never, ever, ever flex on is your word. If you told him it was 300 bucks, it's 300 bucks. If it costs you 400 bucks, you charge him 300 bucks. Right. You can charge the next person more money, but you can never, ever, ever get your word back. And mm. as an East London boy, we were always told that your word is your bond. And right. so- Thanks. The amount of times in the early stages where I'd go 25 grand and, and my wife would be like, you know, we just lost money on this. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm sorry, babe. You know, I, I, but as you get bigger and big and you do more and you do more, you've got to start equating that people aren't paying you for what you do. 
where do I go to even find my first client? What would you recommend? Ooh, well, you can find clients everywhere, but I, I'll, I'll give you where I found mine. So before I was running ads, okay, because you can just go straight to ads, build a funnel, run people through and get it that way. But if, if you're talking about like gorilla, like from the ground, grassroots, I started with social media. I really did. I started with social media. Um, and that included LinkedIn, that included Facebook. And, and at the time, I really wasn't using Instagram, but definitely Facebook. And I was very clear. You know, when, when we talk about value proposition, you have to be very clear on what, what you're doing and who you're for. And I found that clarity, it helped people to either come straight to me or it helped people to point others to me. Because from the gate, I was clear. Um, from the gate, I was clear. Now, during the, you know, I will say this, when I started out, I started out doing one thing, you know, across time I've, I've pivoted, but at least I was clear on what I, on what I wanted to bring people. And I, and I positioned myself as an expert. That's really big. So, you know, if you want to get your first client, you have to show up as if you are what you say. You know, a lot of people, they show up like, you know, I want to get my first client. I want to coach. But that's, but that's actually how they, how they sound is how they show up, <laughs> you know? Wow. And so you have to show up as if you're expecting clients, right? You, you know, even the way you talk, how you talk should be like, you know, I've opened up the doors. I'm so excited about clients that I, I, I know that, I, that we're going to have coming through these doors. Most people, when they launch a coaching business, they don't talk like that. They're like, Can I just opened up. We're new. And, you know, we're so excited about this new program that we just launched. We just opened our door. I mean, you sound like, you know, it's like a baby with the baby diaper just came out the womb. Right. And, you know, you don't have to sound like that. You know, you should sound like you're the expert. And I always tell people that just because it's your first year of business does not mean that that has been your first year of expertise, right? Mm. Because you should only be coaching people on what you're an expert in anyway, right? So it's not like you pick coaching or consulting because it's something to do. You do need to know what you're talking about because people want results. And if you can't give results, it's not if, you know, well, I can talk and I can inspire. Yeah, but can you give results? Like, can you actually transform somebody's life? So if you know you can do that, when you show up online, you need to talk as if that, that you are the transformational you know, expert. And what I tell people as well is getting your first client means you have to network your behind off. So if you show up and you try to hide, people go online, they're like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to go live. I'm not sure if I want to, you know, I want to keep my circle small. You know, <laughs> I'm like, well, how are you going to make money? And you have to get over the fear of talking to people, you know, Otherwise, your money is going to be just as shy as you are, you know? So I learned that when I got online, oh my God, you couldn't tell me that I, that I was not ready. I mean, I was talking, if you were new, I was, hello, hi, what's your name? Oh, great to meet you. What do you do? You know, I was connecting with, with people that I felt were great people to connect to, you know? And what I found was that that's how clients started to come. I was showing up online. I was positioning myself as an expert. I had a clear value proposition. Um, so people knew exactly what I coached on, how I could help them. And I was really good at my marketing. So I was always pumping out. I was talk, talking to you about my offers. There was no gray area of what I offered, how you signed up, where you clicked. It was clear. And that's really how you begin to get your, your clients is by being clear, being clear in what you offer, how they can get it, networking, and really not being afraid. You know, rejection 
listen, screw it. Keep on going. Um, and just keep on going, honestly, until you start to see breakthroughs, which can happen as soon as you want them to. You just can't give up. I think that there's no one way to do it, right? That's where you talked about figuring out what you don't like because you had to go through, you know, the fire, right? You had to be tested to come out with your testimonial. So I definitely yeah. don't think that you've done anything wrong. You you had to be tested to, to figure these things out. And I think that there's something else that I always say, you know, joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't a little bit of pain, right? So in that one moment, you had a couple knots, but same thing I told my wife, like wins and losses comes with being bosses. For anybody who hasn't seen, I would encourage them to go back because this is where I was really wild too. I watched that. You guys just sold your house about a month or a couple months back, right? And that video that you did on your home. I was like, oh, that's Shalene, Shalene. Like, <laughs> he was living out there. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, it was just such a beautiful home, right? And you told the Thank story you. about how you raised your kids there and everything. And so when people look at that and they see where you are today, they say, wow, she's had it made, right? But the question that I have for you is to say, or to ask, are you fulfilled in life? I am, you know, I, I can't say that fulfilled to the point where I could like just vacation and not do anything because fulfillment is something I seek to achieve every day. And I feel fulfilled when I'm helping people. And it, that if I didn't have that, I would not be fulfilled. For, for me, fulfillment isn't num money or, or things because there was a, a period of time in my life where I got caught up in making the vision board and goals that I learned from other experts on, on how to write out your five-year plan and your very specific goals on specifically how much money you want to make and specifically what car you want to drive and specifically what house you want to live in. And I did all that and I accomplished all those goals. And once I got there, I felt quite empty. Mm. Because, and, and that was really the catalyst for me creating and writing my book, uh, which was a New York Times bestseller called Push, because I realized the way I went about learning goal setting from the greats, you know, like Brian Tracy and, and Jim Rohn and, and so many others before them, uh, was to define what it was I wanted and go after it. And once I got there, realizing like, but I don't have the feeling that I want to feel, that I, I kind of took their practices and tweaked them to work for me and, and kind of reversed engineered that process. So instead of starting with the thing, starting with the feeling, like, what yeah. do I want to feel? And mm. what do I have? What does my life need to look like in order for me to feel that? Mm. Because you can have the big house and the cars and all the things, but feel like you are in a golden prison, you know, and, and that you've created your own hell. If you can't enjoy those things and, that's where we were. And we really had to like, just kind of start over and realize the toll it had taken on us over a course of, you know, many years. And, and it almost ruined uh, my husband and I, our, our marriage. We've been together for 25 years. Well, mm -hmm. we've been together for like 30 years, but um, together for 25 years. And there's just a point at which I was just bulldozing and bulldozing and bulldozing, trying to accomplish all those things and never really thinking about like, what do we, what, what do we want to feel? And, and so I would warn anyone who has, like you've written out your goals for this year or your five-year plan, ask yourself, 
not will that thing bring me peace, but ask yourself, will I be able to experience peace in the process of acquiring these things? Because you can still acquire those things. You just might have to alter the plan slightly. You know, for me, I, I'm okay with doing things slower. I'm okay with recognizing the importance of seasons. Like you've got two young children right now and they're, they're just season that you will never, ever get back. Right. You know, and then there are things that you can, you can plant the, the, that crop anytime that crop's going to grow, doesn't matter. But there are certain times where, you know, you, you just, if it's really important to you, you need to focus on the fact that that's that season. It might not be the season of growth for your business. It might be the season of creating a secure attachment for your children. Right. No, or repairing no, a marriage, you know? Yeah. And, and it's so crucial that you say that. And the reason why I say that is because right now we're in a time of uncertainty, right? And, and so many people, I mean, now we know at the end of this month in about seven days, there's a lot of people right now um, living with a lot of anxiety because once this unemployment benefits go away, right? And we don't know what this other stimulus bill that they're talking about is going to be like, but a lot of people are really banking on that, especially in the more dense populated areas, right? Where things are really expensive, like how, uh, like, California. And so what that does, and and I'm sure is it takes tolls on marriages because the outside, you know, is eaten up. And so I'm glad that you said that because it's a communication thing. Wouldn't you agree? Like oftentimes we're running so fast and I don't mean you and I, but I just mean us in general as people, we're running so fast. The kids have soccer games. We're trying to get this job. We're trying to do whatever that as spouses, we never communicate to each other. How are you feeling? Mm, So true. And I think every one of us wants to know that we are significant to someone else. The mistake I made is I, thought at that time because we weren't communicating in the way that we needed to. Like I would told you we were communicating, but we weren't communicating on a really deep level. I believed that if I was making more money, life would be easier for him. Life would be easier for us. And that that's how I could be significant to my husband. And he believed, you know, his own set of circumstances and neither of us were really talking about what it is we wanted and that we really needed each other. And that's all that mattered. Mm. So when, you know, we really hit that rock bottom moment, it was just the real, like having that honest conversation was like, I don't care if all of this goes away. I don't care if we move into a cardboard shack in the woods, if we have each other, that's all that matters. And like literally speaking those words to each other made every other decision. Okay. Like it just, then we're like, who cares? As long as we have each other, as long as we can be with each other, as long, like you are all that matters. Right. And that made every, uh, like they took all the pressure off. It took off, you know, we had to crawl our way out of a massive amount of debt. And it was all like, I don't want to say it was no big deal, but when you are in financial crisis and at the same time, your relationship is in crisis you feel paralyzed. You can't think, you can't make proper decisions. You can't sleep. You can't do the things you you can't be who you were meant to be. It changes you. It changes your fiber. It takes a toll on your health. But if you can, it's funny. If you, if your relationship is solid and you know, I have this person, they are my soft place to land. Yeah. And 
and they have me in their hands, then no matter what's happening around me, I can, it's, it's not that big of a deal. And if you don't have that person, you have to remember you have God. God is always holding you in his hands. He is your father. And when you worry about all the other external things, you forget how important it is that you are significant, not because of those things, but because you are a child of God. For someone starting out now who may not have a big platform, who doesn't know, you know, they feel like they're an imposter. Everything they've learned, they've learned from somebody else. They're, they haven't really developed something themselves like NLP or EFT or, you know, whatever. And, and, and that's the same for me. I don't think I ever developed anything unique. I mean, a couple of little nuances of exercises where I put this together with that. Most creation occurs when you take something you know and something else, you learn from something else, you put them together and something new emerges. And so for me, I consider myself a good aggregator. And I think the thing I would say to young people, or pe- not necessarily young, but people starting out, is that we all have different audiences that we can relate to. I mean, you're a young African-American, so you have that credibility in the African-American community. You're also really bright and you're articulate, so you have universal appeal. But some people, like I have a friend, I teach trainers. I teach this program called Train the Trainer, where we train trainers to teach what I teach. And one of the women that came and trained with me was a mortgage broker. And she thought she was going to go do general public seminars. Turns out her audience is like 90% mortgage brokers. But she runs elite mastermind groups where she charges $24,000 a year. She gets Mm. 20 people in those groups. That's a half a million a year right there. She does keynotes for mortgage brokerage conferences, et cetera. So we each have groups. Like I started out with educators because I was an educator. I knew that world. I knew the language. Some people are, there's a guy named uh, Jason Dorsey, who is a millennial expert. And he was in college and this millionaire uh, I think he's a multimillionaire, might have been a billionaire, came and spoke to their undergraduate program. And, uh, and he said, if anyone wants to come out to my house every Wednesday afternoon, I have I sit on my porch and I mentor people. So he went out Wednesday and there was no one there but him. And it's interesting how many people don't take advantage of the opportunities that are offered them. Right. And the guy said, so what do you want to do? What's your life plan? He said, well, I'm going to go to school, finish school, get an MBA go work in a company, eventually leave that company, start my own company, and then I'm going to sell that company. And then I want to go and I want to teach high school kids if they can do anything. And he said, why are you going to wait until you're 50 to do that? First of all, they won't trust you anymore. You're going to be too old. And secondly, why do you want to wait 30 years to achieve your dream? So he dropped out of the University of Texas, started doing seminars for teens and for high school students and became the number one speaker for high schools in America mm-hmm. and then became the number one go-to millennial expert. And so he makes a fortune teaching companies like Burger King and you know all these other companies that hire a lot of young people how to work with millennials, how to work with, I know the Generation Z now, but the younger people. But the point being, he had a target market that he could speak to. So I would say, you know, who's your target market? And if you say everybody, it's probably not true. There are people, the Dalai Lama, who probably has a universal message, Mother Teresa, you know, maybe Tony Robbins, whatever. But in general, think about, like, if I go to a Tony Robbins workshop, everyone there are these type A, hard-driving people, you know. And uh, if you go to another workshop, everyone's kind of mellow. They meditate more and they're doing yoga, you know. So find who you are. If you be authentically you, you're going to attract the people that are attracted to your vibe, to your energy, to what you have to teach, to your wisdom. And so uh, some people 
work with athletes. Some people work with school teachers. Some people work with entrepreneurs. Some people work with women. Some people work with prisoners. So I think that I wouldn't worry. There's plenty of people out there who need need our work. Trust me. Uh, if you just look at how the world's working right now, we've got forty uh, percent of the people in America are supposedly clinically depressed. Mm. We have. I forget how many millions, you know, 30 million or more unemployed at the moment. Uh, they're not living their dream at all. We have people, we're told even when people are employed, 80% of them don't like their job. So there's lots of, to use a term market available. If you have a message and you learn how to share it with people in an in a engaging way. You mentioned a home-based business and obviously you've mentioned rock bottom a couple of times and anybody who just heard your story is like, wow, how do you start from rock bottom and be able to quickly, you know, KPG? Okay. So what do I have? I have this, this form. I had a life coach a long time ago and he gave us this one piece of paper and I call it questions to design your future. So you got to sit back, first of all, and say, you know, what do I want? There are eight questions on there, but I'm going to tell you the first three. The first question is, what do I want? The second question is, why do I want it? And the third one is, what am I, what am I willing to give up to get it? Mm. That's, where, that's where most of the problem happens, because we want these things, but we're going to sit up and watch TV, or we're going to go to the movies, or we're going to play the, you know, those games and all that. You got to give up something to get what you want. So reflection is the first part of that. Once you figure out what you want, you figure out where you're passionate. What is it that you like to do? I don't, I don't recommend anybody start a home-based business that is going to be drudgery. Most of the clients and most of the people that I work with, they have a full-time job and I know they're tired when they get home, but if you really want success, remember I told you about that high level activity, you got to come home. You got to decompress for an hour or two, play with your children. If you have them, spend time with your spouse. And then you got to stay up, not looking at the 11 o'clock news, but, but doing work on that home-based business. So mm -hmm. most of the clients that I have, they start and grow a home-based business from scratch with, with a, with a part-time or full-time job and get to grow that business up. And I got one successful client out of New York that has two successful home-based businesses. So that's the key to it. We're not going to grow wealth with our job. You know, a job in education and, and college is highly overrated. I wouldn't recommend anybody go to college these days unless they're going after something that requires a license like a doctor or, or a CPA, because there's so many people that I know out there now personally that never went to college and they're making, you know, a million dollars a year, uh, at least $500,000 a year, much more than the person that makes a job. And it's easy. It's easy to do when you create something one time and then you sell it to millions of people. Like the, I have eight books now. I make money in my sleep because people are buying books. I don't know why people in New Zealand or, or Australia or wherever would want to buy my books, but they do. So, you know, Amazon, even though they take a lot of it, I still have access to the whole world. Multiple so creating, of revenue. creating a product or service, some kind of home-based business where you can get it out there to the world and then money is going to be coming into your lap. Got it. Yes, I, I love it. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that as well. What's one business that you've seen that you were shocked to see that it really took off? Have you because you've probably seen a lot of different home based businesses? Is there one that you've seen that you hope to climb with that you were like, uh, I don't, and then it just took off, and you're like, wow, okay, anybody can really do this. All of the businesses that I've seen that I've helped people uh, work on that are growing, they're different businesses, but they all have one thing in common. They're all selling online, whether it be that person's product or whether they're brokering a product, they're white labeling it. In other words, you have a product, let's say some kind of uh, natural oil, 
and they let you put your name on it. So you get that oil for $3 and you're able to sell it for eight. And you put that on, on Amazon, you put that on, on eBay and Shopify and all that and, and make money. So those are, those are the ones that are taking off. So if you have a cell phone, if you have access to a computer and internet, you can make money. Instead of sitting there talking on it all day or looking at movies, then you're creating a business. Uh, I have uh, some people that have started daycares in their home. You know, they like children and, they, and they're getting guaranteed money from the government because these, these uh, parents are getting money from the government. So a lot of people like that. Some people are making money by renting part of their home. If they have a basement or if they have a room, They're, those are the kind of easy, simple ways to do things. Uh, but just starting a business with not a lot of money. I'm not saying go out and, and buy a franchise or go out and put $3,000 into some kind of a you know network market or anything like that. I'm not against network marketing at all. But when you when you join a network marketing, you're getting a percentage of a percentage. And the energy that it would take me to go out and market someone else's product and get a percentage of a percentage, I can take that same energy and, and make and produce my own product and get 100%. Got Plus, I, I get all the write-offs. I write off everything but the kitchen sink. There's something called ordinary and necessary business expenses, which, which are uh, ordinary means that they're acceptable, they're business expenses that are acceptable. So I'm going to give you this crazy example. So there's this lady. Her name is Cindy Hess. And I think it was in 94, she wrote off a breast enlargement on her tax return. And the, and the IRS laughed until they fell out and they took away her deduction for her breast enlargement. But then she went to tax court with her lawyers and she won. Guess why? Because Cindy Hess, better known as Chesty Love, was a pole dancer. And mm. it was ordinary and necessary for her because she was getting older and she had to keep up with the competition. So they let her write off her breast enlargement and see if Cindy Hess can write off her breast enlargement, you better be sure that it's easy for you to write off anything that you can prove that's an ordinary and necessary business expense. So that means when I go to Costa Rica, I've got property there. I got to check on the property. That's a business expense. If I go to California to, to talk to a couple of people about doing a joint venture and I stay for a week, that's a business expense. When I go to the grocery store, I take my mileage. Mileage is 54 cents a mile. So every two miles I drive, as long as I make that trip a business expense, I'm writing off a dollar. So writing off everything with the kitchen sink is nothing different than what the wealthy are doing. For you, you it feels like you've come so far. But at, at what point did you know, like, I got this, I'm here? Because I feel like for a lot of people right now, especially with YouTube and podcasts and things like that, it's easy for us to be like, oh, yeah, like, I feel like I got it. I can listen to Allison, what she's saying. OK, I hear it. But there's got to be a moment to where you get that one client or you get on stage like you. At what point did you know you arrived? Was there ever a moment? Yeah, multiple moments, multiple moments of arrival. I'll tell you one. When I stood on a stage in Minnesota and everyone, I think I could count on one hand. I think I could count on one hand how many people of color I saw in that, in that theater. It's probably about 500 women. And I looked out and all of them didn't look like me. And the arrival was an arrival of not I've arrived because I'm in front of an audience of white people. I've arrived because I've come to a place where I understand I don't understand. Mm. 
I don't understand. Jay-Z says it. Uh, Dale Carnegie said it first. Jay-Z said it um, in a rhyme in the 90s where he says, don't ask me about my successes. Ask me about my failures. And then you really know my life. You really know who I am, right? So the bright lights people think is when I signed my first million dollar contract. People think the bright lights is when I sat across from Coca-Cola or Procter and Gamble, or the bright lights was, you know, being featured on CNN or an interview with Forbes. Oh no, honey. It's when I stood on that stage in Minnesota and I thought, oh shit, I don't know what I don't know. And I started recognizing I've got to be more diverse in my approach. The bright lights for me was standing in Texas in front of a manufacturing organized of all men, white men, Hispanic men, primarily. And I was there to teach and they were looking at me like, there's nothing you can teach me, black girl. Mm. There is nothing that I'm going to say yes to. That was a bright light moment because I realized not to become better for environments like that. I realized don't subject yourself to places where you're tolerated and not celebrated. And so the bright lights for me was when I stood in front of a company, I'm still partners with them. So I won't say who they are, but they put me in front of their legal division and the legal division wanted to ask me about all of my academia. Well, I dropped out when I was 15. I went back to high school when I was 19. I graduated when I was 20. I went into college when I was 21 and recognized this is not for me. And so those people in that space of academia were not interested in learning from me. And they did not feel like that the knowledge would flow through me to be a benefit for them. And so they judged me through the entire time. So I had a three-day contract where every day I went home with the bubble guts in my stomach. I went home second-guessing and self-doubting, rewriting my content, trying to prove myself. And that was a lesson where I realized, Allison, you have nothing to defend, nothing to protect, and nothing to prove. That was a bright light moment. So for anyone listening, if you're waiting for your bright lights to be when someone esteems you, I can think about when Lisa Nichols put me on her stage and there were, you know, 5,000 people looking at me and you could call that a bright light. You could call that the first time that I stood on stage and hundreds of people went to the back of the room and bought and, you know, uh, we did seven figures uh, in, in less than 24 hours. You could call that bright lights, but those weren't the big teaching moments. The teaching moments are never the ones that elevate you. The teaching moments are the ones that bring you to your knees, right. that humble you, and that ask you to your own self, have you been true? Do you know who you really are? What is it that you stand for? The bright light moments are when tears are running down your face and it's mingled with snot and salt and you are pressed to understand why, why am I even doing this? It goes beyond the money. It goes beyond the staff. It goes beyond the book deal. It goes beyond the podcast numbers. It goes beyond the Instagram likes. It goes beyond the Twitter retweets. It goes beyond, you know, the Facebook reshares. It goes into the recesses of your soul. Mm. Do I know who I be? And am I willing to contribute her or him beyond the discomfort that it's taken me to get to that? Am I willing? 15% of our success is based on skill, knowledge, talent, education. 85% is based on our own personal permission slip that we write to ourselves. So Casanova for me, 
the awareness and those arrival moments come all the time. And they come in when I trip, stumble, fall flat on my face. And there are many days that I wish that the brownness that I fell into was mud, but often it was a pile of poop that I put there myself. (laughs) Wow. Do you got to have a lot of income for somebody else right now that's looking to build two different brands right now? Do you think that they could do the same thing or would you not recommend it looking back at all the challenges that you've had? I highly recommend it if you're willing to be serious about it. This morning, I was doing my private uh, monthly webinar where it's uh, 75 CEOs from 50 different countries and we go through processing issues together. They range between doing a million dollar year business to a couple hundred million dollar year business and we talk about the challenges they're facing. And, and one of the things we talked about is a couple of the guys who run businesses, they do five, $10 million a year. They want to uh, write a book and, hey, Pat, what can I do to write a book and sell a lot of copies? And what can I do? And how do I get myself to have a presence? And I said, tell me your name. And I went online and I looked at their entire profile and I said, okay, you got 112 subscribers on YouTube. The other guy had a couple thousand subscribers on YouTube. Your videos are not consistent. They don't come out on the same day. You just kind of sporadically put a video here, then one three weeks later, then one a day later, then one five weeks later. You're not consistent. You're not taking social media seriously. It's more like a one night stand to you than a marriage. And the one thing you have to realize about building a brand, if you decide to build a brand from the one night stand perspective of let me get a viral video to help me become a celebrity, it's not going to work for you. It's not for you. Skip it. Don't try to create content. If you're going to make social media part of your business, there's got to be a business and a system behind it. Meaning, People look at social media and they say, oh my gosh, that guy makes the perfect short clip videos on Instagram and look how it's going. I bet it costs a lot of money to edit that and to transcribe it. And this guy's doing YouTube editing with these intros and that guy's Twitter content and he's always busy on LinkedIn and he's doing stuff on TikTok and then there's podcast audio. How do you keep up with all this stuff? Here's how I started. There's one of three gifts that we all have. You're either a great writer You're either great with audio or you're great on camera, but you're going to be good at one of these three things. Whichever one you're good with, lead with that. For example, if you're a good writer, start writing a blog a week, one blog a week about a topic you know a lot about. For example, if you're a real estate person, write real estate. And what kind of topics do you put up? Best best time to buy real estate. Great. Worst time to buy real estate. Nine things to know before buying a house during the pandemic. These are titles you come up with, right? You know, five qualities of a real estate, you know, five qualities to look for before hiring a real estate agent. Six hidden fees real estate agents don't want you to know about. These are the kind of titles you put up. And people are like, what are the six hidden fees? They click on it, right? And you put it boom, 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 boom. And I read it. Okay. So, So that's writing if that's your strength. Podcast, if you're audio, sit there, get your phone, do an audio, post it. It's not hard to do. It's cheap nowadays. And you can pretty much do it for free. And you can post one audio podcast per week. Not complicated. YouTube. For the first two years, I made one commitment to myself. One YouTube video a week. It was called Two Minutes with Pat. And we posted one a week. And that's all I did. I didn't do more than one a week. But I did every week. And it was at the same exact time. It was on Tuesdays. Every week. Tuesday, 8 a.m., a video went out, two minutes with Pat. We did 104 videos, so that's two years. After the 104 videos, I sat there and I said, what do we want to do now? Is this working? Do we want to scale this? Do we want to take it to a different level? I got a couple of videos that ended up doing well. I got one article that ended up doing well. I wrote an article about the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper the day it came out. I said, did Einstein use NZT? 
It was shared tens of thousands of times, but that was seven years ago, eight years ago, pre anybody knew who Patrick Bay David was. I didn't have a YouTube channel. I had nothing going on. I was just writing an article a week. And then once I realized it's working, then I said, now I'm going to put money into it. And then a few million dollars later, obviously, at this point of the game, the Valuetainment brand is a whole different story. You're getting $100,000 sponsorships. You're getting people that are wanting to advertise that you're turning down and you're staying true to your audience and your brand. And now it's turned into a company. And this is a company that's going to end up competing with NBC, CNN, Fox, a lot of these other guys, Valuetainment Media will be. And this is just the beginning. So it became an accidental media company is what it turned into. Have you always been able to be the leader that you are? Because, and I'll give context on this. I think where a lot of people start out, they want to be the entrepreneur, but we start out as solopreneurs and Mm -hmm. why we struggle and we can't get past level two, three, whatever, is because we don't really understand the power of a team or how to delegate and be a, a good leader. Did you ever struggle with this? Absolutely. I mean, on paper, if you look at it, it took me seven years to hire my first person to help me with something. I was doing everything myself. And I think there's different stages of leadership. We need to also, leadership is important for yourself. You need to be a leader to yourself. You need to be disciplined. You need to honor the calendar and the time blocking that you're putting into your schedule. That's being a leader too, as opposed to having other things guide you like YouTube rabbit holes or, or, or other distractions and whatnot. So stepping up for you is important. That's phase one. And that's a really important thing to do, especially if you're just a solo entrepreneur. That's the kind of leadership for yourself that you need to step into first before you can even lead others. It's similar to the thing. It's like, how can you love others if you don't first love yourself? How can you lead others if you don't first lead yourself either? So it's a very similar thing. And again, like I said, it took me seven years to finally start to get comfortable with hiring people to do things. And where I found most of my success was actually hiring people to do things that I loved to do, liked to do, was good at but shouldn't do as the CEO of the company. I was very much a scrappy entrepreneur, sort of Frankenstein, putting things together as they came through. And I was able to make it work, but I was wearing all the hats. And as a result, I had the ability to, like there was a fork in the road where I could either stop growing, but I had so many more people to serve. So that wasn't going to happen. Or I could keep doing what I was doing and trying to help more people with just me and eventually get to the point like, Many of my other friends, including my friend Chris Ducker, who I know you've spoken to before, he was hospitalized because he was so overwhelmed and burned himself out from work. And that's an option that a lot of people don't consciously choose, but that's what they choose to go down. Or you could finally get comfortable hiring other people and learning how to lead a team. And part of being a great leader, in my opinion, is to not always consider it as you're at the top of the mountain talking down and just telling people what to do. For me, leadership and what I love about my team is I've empowered my team members to own certain pieces of the brand such that they are responsible, that they have a say, that in fact, I am just the sounding board for what they think they can do to make that segment of the brand better. And as a result, and especially over the last couple of years, hiring now seven full-time employees, including all the benefits and pay and like uh, 401k, all those things, like I feel like they're my family now. Right. And what's cool is they feel like my audience is theirs too. And as a result, they take better care of them than they were when they were just contractors working for me. And now we all together can come together to build some amazing things, including new membership program, much more higher quality courses, better connections with the audience, a live event in San Diego last year that we put together with 500 people who flew down 
don't know when that's going to happen again because of Corona, but we'll see. And just amazing things happen when you finally start letting go. And that's really what I had to do. A lot of people listening right now say, I know what I know, but I don't know that I know how to teach it. Yes. I'll give you three, three steps here. First off is always teach what you do know. If you could go back and spend two days with your five year younger self or 10 years younger self, and you only had two days to teach something, what would you teach yourself? Like, I always think about that. If you had to go back, man, and talk to your 32, if you could go back and spend two days with your 22 year old self, and you had three days casting over to put something together, what would you teach? Like when right. you start looking through that framework, you go, hold oh, let me back up, man. Let me back up. Hold on. First, I'd have to do mindset because back then I thought my life was screwed. And then I, I realized that that was for me, not to, you would probably think of some mindset stuff. And you're like, oh, this is how I sold so much real estate. Man, there's a strategy to sell. Oh, let me think through that. How do I sell? Well, first, I, I look people in the eye. I do this. I listen better than anyone else. I'm persistent. I call. I you, Like then you start structuring, oh, this is how I sell. Oh, I, my marriage is really awesome at this place, man. It wasn't so good. How would I treat my relationship? Oh, this is what I do. I listen more. I realize there's two of us. We're united. We have God as it, or our children. Like you start thinking through all this. So it's a little different when you think through that. And right. you have to remember the people that you're teaching are starting off where you were three, five, 10 years ago. So you're not, if you're, if you've sold one piece of real estate in your life, and you're trying to go to a convention to show people who've already sold a hundred, you're a phony. And of course you'll look like a phony, but right. if you sold just 10 pieces of real estate in your life and you have a room full of people who've never sold one, you're the expert. Mm. You're the expert. So it's also who the audience is. So that's why marketing is so important. You want to attract who you want and repel those you don't. You want to attract people that would want exactly what it is. And then the last thing I'll say, I want you to think about this. In every teaching moment, we all had the three S's. We had a struggle. Mm -hmm. We searched for the answer. Search. And then we found a solution. Yeah, search, struggle, search, solution. Just hmm. think about that. If, I, if I, you came to me right now, I said, man, how the hell did you sell so much real estate and change your life? What was the struggle? Man, yeah. I was going through this. Nothing. I had to do it. What was the search? Man, I searched for a way to connect. I found this thing online. I read this book. I had a mentor. And what's the solution? The solution is I implemented it. And these are the results I get, right? If you break it down to those three S's, man, all of a sudden you go, oh yeah, I could teach that. I, I could te teach. So, so think through that. It's, it's understanding that framework and then putting the right people in the room. And all of a sudden, the one thing that you are missing goes up, your confidence. Man, look at your business history. And if you've been putting out fires, hustle and grinding for more than a year, you've proven, and your business isn't moving forward in a big way, you've proven that's not the way to move the business forward anymore. Mm. The way to do it is bringing in outside experts for sure. But really the starting point is with us ourselves. We have to have a true analysis of what are we great at and what do we do just because it's necessary. If we move to our greatness, we will excel. And what we have to do to do that is start removing the, the stuff that we're just good at and are doing because it's required of us. I encourage every entrepreneur, I don't care if you're just started yesterday or if you've been in business for many years, get a personal assistant, get someone, they don't have to be full-time, they can work a few hours a week for you in the beginning, a virtual assistant or some sort, but get the, the little low kind of necessary work, but distracting work off your plate. Maybe it's, it's getting those invoices out or responding to customer service requests 
or, or just getting supplies for the office. Get that stuff off of your plate. The benefit isn't just the relief from not doing that stuff anymore, is we'll start learning the ability to assign tasks to other people. Mm. So many entrepreneurs fall in the trap, like I'm the best at this. No one can, no one can do as well as me. I'm the best. No. No, you're not the best. Other people are really good at those little micro elements. We got to start peeling you away, allowing you to focus on your true talents, which may be selling or maybe delivering the service. But ultimately, the ultimate business has no dependency on you. What's fascinating about this, and, and I've been lucky enough to afford, I own multiple businesses. I've achieved this. My businesses don't need me. They run without me. They grow without me. And when you get to that point, then as a business owner, you have the right to reinsert yourself in the business in ways that just give you joy. And for me, there's two things I love to do. I love writing books. So that's why I do half the day. And I love being the spokesperson for the book's ideas. So that's what we're doing right now. But that's all I do for my business. The business runs itself. We, we get there by slowly peeling ourselves out and inserting other people, systems, and technology to support what we remove ourselves from. Wow. Do you think that you can build a $100 million company? Let's even bring that down. And let's even say a million dollar company. Do you think that you could build a million dollar company without having systems in place that allow you to get there? I, I, and the reason why I ask that is because a lot of people who are listening to this right now, they're an aspiring entrepreneur and they have that same mentality that really they want to be an entrepreneur, but they're a solopreneur. And something that one of my coaches said to me, which is what you just said, if you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant. And so my question to you is, as you've looked at all of these different business plans and, and balance sheets for other businesses, have you seen anyone that's gotten there without having the proper systems in place? Yes, yeah, maybe shocking. Yes, you can grow a $100 million company with no systems or a million dollar company, especially if it's a single sale. If I, if I put a piece of jewelry in front of you, I, I'm a jewelry salesperson, I put it down and you have a $100 million check. And I said, this huge diamond here is $100 million and you buy it from me. I slide across the table. I just had a $100 million a year for my business, but I have no systems and no process. I say you can't build a healthy business without systems. So revenue, honestly, is a vanity metric. I, I used to be very impressed when someone achieved a million dollars in revenue. I'm like, wow, that's a big deal. Or 5 million. I grew my one business to 7 million. I'm like, look at me. And then I realized it's just vanity. It doesn't matter. It's just that people are willing to put money, but it flows right through my business. Hmm. What matters is how much of that money can I extract repeatedly with the least effort? And that's where systems come into place. If Listen, I'm really impressed by a company that's a $100,000 business where the owner's taking home $90,000 and sitting you know, on the porch just enjoying drinks in the middle of the afternoon on a Tuesday. That's impressive. How did you get that, that you can right. make money on automatic with no active effort on your behalf? That comes about through systems. So you can't achieve a healthy business without systems, in my opinion. That's absolutely mandatory. No, and, and I love it. And I wanted somebody else to be able to hear it from an expert because I believe the same thing. My next point that I think that people are wondering is say, okay, I understand I need systems in my business, but I struggle with the piece that you already mentioned, which is delegation. Did you ever struggle with this delegate? Because it's easy to say, okay, I'm going to hire somebody to do these things. But of course you have your own particular way that you want them done. And then all of a sudden you say, you know what, in the time that it took me to tell that person how to do it, I could have just did it myself. Did you ever struggle with that? And if so, what was your solution to coming out of that to being able to delegate more efficiently? Fuck yes, I struggled with that. My God, yeah, my God. You know, I didn't even know what delegation was. Hmm. I, I thought, I thought delegation, say we work together, Casanova. Say you're my boss. 
I thought delegation was you give me something to do, do invoicing. And I come back and say, hey, boss, got a couple questions. You tell me the answers. I do it. And finally, it's done. I'm like, here you go. It's done. I thought that's delegation. No, delegation is not the assignment of tasks. It's the assignment of outcomes. Here's the mm-hmm. other scenario. You're my boss. You come to me. You say, hey, Mike, I need you to do invoicing. And I say, okay. And then you say, but hold on. There's a reason behind this. We need to bill our clients timely and accurately. Do you understand why, Mike? And I'm like, yeah, timely is fair to us. We collect money. Accurately is fair to our customers. Great. Your job, Mike, the outcome we need to achieve is to build timely and accurately. So then I go and I start doing the invoicing. I come back. I'm like, hey, Cass, I got a question for you. You're like, what's your solution to get us to do this timely and accurately? Delegation Mm. is the assignment of the outcome and requiring the employee to achieve that on their own device, not to come back and keep asking questions. That's why I thought delegation was, was assign a task, answer the questions and direct. No, delegation is the time to outcomes and hold the employee accountable to it and empower them to do that. There wow. was a study uh, conducted, and I'm not sure the source, but it was probably SBA, identified that I think it's 95% of small businesses uh, have three employees or less. And the whole reason is, is the boss man is making all the decisions. Everyone else does their little tasks and they come back and say, did I do it right, sir? Did I do it right? And then the boss is like, no, yes. We are one brain, the boss, controlling all these different hands. That is not scalable. The brain can Mm. only process so much. So true delegation is the assignment of outcomes, empowering employees to, to tackle the outcome. And when they face challenges, to navigate themselves. That's what we need to do. Delegation is absolutely mandatory. I struggled with that. And now I finally had that process. Talk to me about how did someone, how did you really, because you're going through negative mind state. Now, all of a sudden you're potentially about to lose your family and you're trying to find yourself who you are spiritually. Were you always someone who had strong faith in a higher power or was that even new to you? And you had to start from square one, basically bare bones and figure out who you were. That was new to me. So I had to find that and discover that because when I, I, Lost my job during the dot-com crash. Fearful, stressed, anxiety. I'm all nervous. How can I provide for my family? What's the future going to hold? I feel like a failure. So my identity was tied to my performance. It was tied to my success. And it was during that time that everything was stripped away. And I had to look within and I had to ask myself, who are you? A crisis like right now that we're dealing with will reveal who you are what you value and what you believe, who you are, what you value and what you believe. And at that time I asked, who am I? Why am I here? I actually said, why am I here? I know I'm here for a reason. Why am I so miserable? My wife was almost, like I said, leaving. And I had to ask that question, like, why am I so miserable? Why am I so negative? And it became loud and clear. I wasn't living my purpose. I wasn't doing something I love to do. And what I was meant to do came to me, writing and speaking. It literally came to me. Why am I here? Writing and speaking came. And the way I know that is, wasn't an accident, right? It wasn't just some coincidence. Come on, John. No, it wasn't some coincidence. I know it happened because after that, I literally started to write. And I started to write like I never wrote before. And I started to share this message. And then I worked on myself, worked on my faith. And then I wrote The Energy Bus. And now I've written 22 books that have sold over four and a half million copies. And I'm not telling you that to be impressed with me. I'm telling you that because to let you know it's not a coincidence that I would have that revelation 
to say, okay, I'm here to write and speak and then start doing it and then have the success to be able to make a difference and reach all these people. Because to me, success, the definition of success is the fulfillment of God's plan for your life. Mm. And that is from Dr. David Jeremiah. I got this from him. And I heard it the other day in a new book that he just wrote called Forward. And it's so powerful. And I realized I was now fulfilling the plan that God had for my life. Now, to understand that plan, you have to surrender. You have to ask. You have to say, why? What is my why? What is my purpose? We don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. So once you know your why, you'll know the way. And you won't let obstacles get in the way. So as an entrepreneur, why am I doing this? Why am I running this business? Why am am I creating this product? Do I love it? Or do I just want to make money? Because the money won't be enough to drive you. It will be enough to make you want to survive, right? Because you need to pay the bills. But to be great, to be the best in the world, to really go after your dream, there has to be something that you truly love to do. So when you're an entrepreneur, make sure you love the product, you love the business, you love what you're doing. Because if you don't love it, you'll never be great at it. Love is the number one driver of grit. And we know that grit is the number one predictor and factor of success. And so love drives grit. So you got to decide what you want to do. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write and speak, and I'm going to start sharing this message. And if it takes me 10 years to get out there, 15 years, 20 years, it doesn't matter. I'm doing what I'm called to do, and I'm going to start doing this work. And I gave 80 free talks. And then after that, it was like $500 a talk and then $1,000 a talk. And I went everywhere and anywhere doing this because this was my why. This was my purpose. This and did you start off? I, I want to ask because a lot of people right now they're hearing this and they're going to look because they see that you're one of the top motivational speakers in the world. Definitely one of the because it's like, oh, it's easy for him to say that now because he's one of the highest paid speakers. But when he started out, was it you said you gave 80 talks? Did you know your direction when you first started out or did that lane change for you? Were you always in this personal development? You got to have faith. You got to be able to overcome positive or adversity. For me, the talk was initially about positivity. I knew that I liked talking about positivity. I wanted to be more positive. I was researching ways I could be more positive and I was doing the research in the positive psychology world. So it was, it was actually during the emerging field of positive psychology. So in the beginning, I knew I wanted to talk about that. But for me, initially it was get addicted to positive energy. So it was all about positive energy. I was I was a little bit of a rah-rah guy. Come on, get fired up. And so I'm early 30s and, and I'm doing that. I was known as the energy addict. I started there and then, and then I evolved. Then I started speaking to organizations and chamber of commerces and all these different events and some health conferences. But again, I was doing all these free talks and then I was going everywhere and anywhere. And then I spoke to the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2007, right when the energy bus came out. I went on a 28-city book tour, paid for by myself. No one knew me. And there were five people in one city. There were 10 people in another, 20 in another. The most people we had were 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they showed up. NASCAR. And I remember I got home. Yeah, if you don't know who Jeff Gordon is, the NASCAR driver. And I remember I got home and it wasn't a successful tour. And I didn't know what my future held, but I gave everything I had. And my mission was this, Casanova. It was to encourage and inspire millions of people, one person at a time. Mm. So even though there was five people at the event, I made time for every one of those people. There were five. That was easy. 
10 people. Didn't matter if there was 100 or 10. I was giving them my time, my energy, and I went on this tour. And that's where I was shaped. That's where I was molded. That's why I learned the art of hard work and living the mission. And humbly, right, humbly, because no one's coming to these events to just share the message, even if a big crowd isn't there. And that's why I learned that you just got to do the work and make a difference and inspire, encourage others one person at a time. And that book tour is what led to a lot of success later on. Just meeting one person in Austin led to an event in a school district. Another event led to to speak at a business. Another city led to working with a sports team. And next thing I'm doing these different talks. And one led to another that led to another that led to another. So my journey has not been easy. A lot of my book sales have, have really taken off over the last five, ten, like five years, I would say, five, seven wow. years. I've grown a, a lot in the last five, seven years. That's really when it's really taken off. My last nine or 10 books have hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. So I have 10 Wall Street Journal bestsellers right now. I've worked with the Rams and the Dodgers and the Miami Heat and Tampa Bay Lightning just won the Stanley Cup. I worked with them before the season. I uh, worked with Clemson football for the past eight years. The Atlanta Falcons years ago, not anymore. Don't work with the Falcons now, but I worked <laughs> with the Falcons for, for years, seven years when Mike Smith was the head coach. So I had the opportunity now to work with all these different teams, all these different companies, all these different school districts. And I would go where others wouldn't go. And yes, I'm a high-priced speaker now, but I'll still do some pro bono events. To always, I do a certain amount per year, every year to stay true to, to that mission and message because it can't always be about the money. Oh, you can't afford to pay me. So, oh, I can't do that. So I try to make sure that I do a certain amount every year pro bono for nonprofits and organizations like that. Did Make-A-Wish not too long ago, uh, the Boys and Girls Club, which I love so much, then did that event. And here's what I've learned. I do those events, right? Not even thinking about anything, but the message and the mission and reaching those people there and about how amazing they are about what they're doing. I always get events that come from that because there's always like sponsors there that it seems like sponsors are there and they wind up booking me for their big events. But I never go into an event thinking, oh, I'll do this. So I get that. I never think that way. It's always been, how can I love? How can I serve? How can I care? How can I do this work? How can I make a difference? And it's been a long journey. It has been a long, I'm 49 now. started when I was doing this again, around 32, 33, probably. 2002, I wrote my first newsletter. I know that. And then the energy bus came out in 2007. And so that's sort of like, if you, if you picture this, this long yeah. struggle, it takes five years for it to be a bestseller. Then finally it becomes a bestseller. And now it has sold over 2 million copies. That book alone, that book changed my life. So I do want people to understand it's been a long journey. And I think every journey is for an entrepreneur. It's not about an overnight success. We know that Google wasn't an overnight success, right? Twitter wasn't an overnight success. I heard from Evan Spiegel a few years ago with Snapchat, and he told me about his journey. I had him on my podcast, and I also went to speak to his company, to his leadership when they were struggling a few years ago. He brought me in to speak. He read my book, The Power of Positive Leadership, and I helped them through a difficult time to really bring positive leadership to their organization and to their team. He talked about in Fast Company how how our work together made a difference. And so we know that even when you think from the outside world, it looks like you have everything figured out. You're always dealing with adversity and challenges and there is no such thing as an overnight success. There's these two voices that I talk about and believe bigger, the voice of little me versus future me, because you talked about silencing. 
There's these two voices, little me and future me. Little me is the voice of fear and doubt and hesitation and the, the whisper, the little inner critic in our head, the hater in our head that says, who do you think you are? You're not good enough. You can't do this. This is too much. It's overwhelming. You're not good enough. You're too tall, too short, too black, too white, too woman, too what, whatever, 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 whatever. And little me knows you very well. Little me knows every single insecurity that you have ever have had and ever will have and plays upon all of those things and sounds like facts. Little me will actually use facts to rationalize, rational lies, right? To give you facts, to give you the wrong lens, to look at your facts as though those are final. Future me is the voice of faith. I believe that future me conspires with the Holy Spirit, the voice of God, to get us to see who it is that we really are. Future me knows us even better and little me and future me is not intimidated by little me. In fact, future me eats little me and swallows it like a vitamin for breakfast and only gets stronger. Mm-hmm. The challenge is we have been taught to doubt the version of ourselves that represents what is really in store for us. Future me also speaks through the language of dreams, the language of desires, the language of vision, possibility, and I believe also mystery and curiosity. Little me wants us to be practical. Future me wants us to be full of possibility and unstoppable. Right. And so these are the ways we distinguish the voice of doubt and faith, the voice of little me and the voice of future me, because little me's goal is to get you in hesitation, to get you in the place where you're not building and calling it God by saying, I'm waiting on him and discerning. So if he can even use scripture to get you in a catatonic state of stagnation, then that's what little me is going to do. And that's how we've been tricked out of our dreams, tricked out of our destiny and saying that we're waiting on God when actually the promised land is wide open, waiting for you to walk through it. The circumstances, the perfections, the imperfections, the challenges, but also the wins, everything, everything that is existing in your life right now are the perfect ingredients that God needs and will use to bless, build, advance, catapult, reinvent, prosper, heal, everything. Everything is, because why? He created time. We're not out of time because <laughs> he right. created time. Now, I don't believe you take time for granted because when you time, you're totally in my element, but you have to trust in my experience. That's the other acronym for time. He knows better than we do. God knows better. And there is a level of, One of the things I wrote in January 2019 at the top of the year, and it's really guided me that I always have to come back to. And it's just, I was journaling and this flew out of me. It's only God can make what God has already made. Mm -hmm. So if he made time and if there's something he wants to do, then I need to trust his timing to experience the promised land that he's already prepared. Like I don't have to actually make it, I need to have eyes to see it. And this is where dreams come in and desire comes in. I believe also the Bible says that God gives us the desires of our heart. I had a woman who emailed me the other day and she said, actually, she didn't believe in God. She says, I'm agnostic and I'm working towards becoming a believer, a believer in Christ. And your devotional is helping me with that. And she says, I finally understand who he wants me to be. And I thought my desires were always bad. We've been taught that our dreams are to be longed for and not live. We've been taught Mm. that our desires are a reflection of selfishness and sin, as opposed to we're not just wretches, (laughs) that we were saved by grace. I think that we were saved by grace because we were wonderful too. And so time is something that requires 
trust, humility, surrender, but it also requires pursuit. And I said earlier that when we pursue something that is part of self-care, doing something that you love because you love yourself and you give yourself permission to pursue it. And that thing about with the rubber band, what came to my mind is it's really recalibrating how we look at our readiness and the timing of it. I might do something a little differently than other people do it, but I'm also going to get there in a way that other people won't because they weren't willing to do what I was willing to do. And I can't tell you what that is, but this is why it's important to run your own race so that you can prepare in a way that is unique. I'm planning now for 2030. The decisions I'm making now, I want to be in position for 2030 because where I'm at now in 2020, not having to work, being able to have time off, not impacted financially by the pandemic are results of the decisions I made in 2010. So now I have this decade perspective. This is part of what happens when you get some gray hairs. (laughs) And the other last thing I want to say, the reason why I wrote a devotional this year, I wrote it while I was pregnant. I could have got out of my contract saying, I don't have the time. It's not right. The reason I wrote a devotional versus a book about business or money or something that seemed more natural to my audience is I believe every time that I have focused on spiritual recalibration, everything else in my life expands beyond my comprehension, my business, my clients, my income, the opportunities. And so sometimes things might seem slow. That's the rubber band. It's the harness. It's actually like a harness that is giving you the time to actually collect the energy, the wisdom, and the spiritual capacity you're going to need for where it is that you're going. Because this is not really about a race. It's about a pace so that you don't have, like people who runners run, my my brother was in track and I used to cheer him on. Like there's nobody who roots for my brother stronger than me. And when he would run, You look at the finish line. You don't look to the left. You don't look to the right. But when it's a pace, you can enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. You can enjoy where the the path to getting there. I used to be a tunnel vision person because I thought I was going to run out of time if I didn't do it all right when I needed to. And I was stressed about everything and didn't know it was stress. I called it a spirit of excellence. It was really stress. Right. And now I want to enjoy the journey. And I want to take other people with me. And I want to be impactful spiritually first. And that out of that, everything else comes back into alignment because I'm responsible for the life that God gave me. And I think that those who are listening, this resonates with you. Take a little time off of social media from getting your vision and actually maybe talk to heaven about it. I say, what is it you have for me? Help me recalibrate. Give me a fresh wind on my dreams. Give me a fresh belief on my dreams. Help me to believe bigger, but don't just ask to believe bigger. Ask for the courage, not the clarity. Clarity is not important. Ask for the courage to actually not only believe bigger, but to live bolder. How were you getting people to say yes, that you could build their websites? So man, here's what I did. I'm going to give you guys some game, right? So the, the course that I took, they were teaching you how to build the website and then how to do SEO for the businesses. And what he said in there was that, do cold calling, call businesses, tell them, hey, my name is such and such. And then he had a script with it. And so I was calling these businesses and it was just like, no, 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 we're not interested. And they were just hanging up, hanging up. And I'm like, man, I can't do this already. This is stupid. I was doing it on my lunch break. I'm going out to my car, just calling people. I would Google throughout the day, put this list together. On my lunch break, I'd go outside on call. You know what I'm saying? Nothing. So finally, I'm like, damn. So finally, I went to Craigslist. And I went to the services page. I was looking for something. 
And I remember on the services page, I'm seeing all these people that have these posts, attorneys, bookkeepers, CPAs, tax preparers, and they had no website. It was just a, you had a little Craigslist link that you would click it and reply to it. And I'm like, man. And so what I did was I would reach out to them. I said, how do I do this without code? Because I don't really like the code calling thing. So what I would do is I would email them like, hey, I'm interested in finding a bookkeeper for my business. I'm a website business looking for a bookkeeper. I was wondering, did you have a website that I can go and get more information on your on your services? Because that's how I like to do my stuff, being a website guy. And then if it was an attorney, hi, I'm looking for a business attorney. Do you help you know businesses? I have a small business. I build websites. Do you have a website? I can go find more about what, what areas of law you practice because that's how I like to look at stuff. And I was just sending that same thing. And man, I, I think for every 10 emails I sent, four people would write back. No, I don't have a website. Here's all the services I offer. But a website sounds like a good idea. Would you like to talk? Question mark. Mm. Yeah. You know, right? and some people, no, I don't have a website, but here's my number to call me. Also, would love to learn more about your services. And I'm like, okay, now we got something. So I'm getting on the phone with people. We're talking. So this attorney, I'm on the phone with her and she's sweetie, I only do estate planning. I do strictly estate planning. I don't do business law or anything like that, but I would be real interested to possibly have a website built for me. Can you come to my office? So this is where mindset comes in. We're about to learn. So I, so I'm like, okay, which day will work. And she tells me, so I put in PTO to take that day off. Cause remember I'm still working full time. I go, she, her office is about 30 minutes from where I work and live. I get to her office. We go to this, you know, conference room. We're sitting down. I'm just giving the spiel. I got my little PowerPoint up. I worked on till three in the morning, wide eyed, bushy tail, just rolling on four hours of sleep, but just high on life. Right. And she's sitting there. And if you've ever gave a presentation and you can see where people are uninterested, she's like piddling around. You can just tell she's like, and then finally she's like, hey, Mr. Fitz, everything you said sounds good. How much would you charge me to build a website? I said, well, it's going to depend on this then. So she reaches down, she gets her purse. I think she's about to get up and leave. She pulls out her checkbook. She's like, Mr. Fitz, I don't have time for this. She's like, I've got several clients I've got to get on. I've got to get to court in an hour. I've got a case to prepare for. Tell me. I could have told this lady $5,000 she would have wrote the check. I said, $600. And wrote the check like, really? That's it? Here, get with my assistant. She'll tell you everything I want and just get it done when you can. And that was my first check that an employer didn't give me. And it just empowered me. And I remember leaving that that office, going to Chase Bank's ATM to deposit it. Because I've always wanted to use the ATM deposit thing. And I never had used it before. That was around the time that came out. And uh, I put it in there. And I just remember thinking, wow. What if I got three of these a month? That'd be like $1,500 a month. That's where my mind was at the time. Right. $1,500 a month, that take care of my car. You know, I can get my me another car. that take care of my apartment. We'd be good. And then my, my check over here, I just got to pay this. We're solid. And man, it just started to blow up after that. I finished her website. She got it up. And all of a sudden, all these attorneys started calling me. Hey, you just did this website for such and such. She said you were her guy. Can you, can you come look at all? Can you? Can you rebuild one? Can you do one for us? Before I knew it, man, I was doing 10 websites a month and I was averaging about $700 per site. I was making way more money doing websites than I was in my job. 
but it was taking all of my time. So what I did was I learned about outsourcing and I found this site called Odesk. Mm. And I started reaching out to people and I found some people that built websites over in like Bangladesh. They were charging me $100 to build the site and I'm making 700 bucks for it. So now I'm able to do about 15 to 20 sites a month and I'm paying them maybe eight, $900 a month, but I'm bringing in about five or six grand. And it just, it just started rolling after that. It Man, so powerful. I love it. And just seizing opportunities, right? It was like, yo, I got to notice that when somebody invites me, uh, this is something that I always say, don't get hyped for the moment and then start to backpedal. You could have been like, yo, I want to talk to her. She's like, I'm by my office. And you're like, ah, oh, but I got to work tomorrow. I don't think you was like, nah, like I'm gonna get this PTO. I'm gonna find a way and then I'm gonna get there and 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 I'm gonna just pitch my services. And I think that at the end of the day, she could still just tell it wasn't about the price. It was about your energy. It was about what she saw that she was going to get in partnering with you that she's like, Mr. P just tell me the number, my brother. I want to, I want to work with you. Enough. Yeah. You done told me enough. I was sold. 10 slides ago. I have this thing that I say is once I found out that I was the juice, I served it up organic and fresh squeezed. I literally had to tap into myself and say, Brittany, what makes you different from what's already on the market? I had to do my research. I had to do competitor analysis. I had to take it back to those times when I was in the classroom learning about these concepts and saying, okay, all right, this coach is here. Okay. Loving her. I love what, she, what she's doing, but where's the gap? Okay, loving this coach. Okay, loving what she's doing, but where's the gap? And really identifying how I can fill the gaps that are not being served in my market. And so also a thing that I'm going to say yes to imposter syndrome. It's a real thing, right? You're like, <laughs> why me? Why am I chosen? But let me tell you, I have an um, album in my phone and I tell anybody to do this. Of all the folks who have DM'd me, emailed me, messaged me about transformation that they've had and working with me throughout the years. And anytime I start to have that feeling of I'm not chosen or why me, I go back to that album in my phone and I read the people that say they were able to build their six-figure, seven-figure business. I read the, the messages where people were like, girl, when I doubted myself, but now today. And so that allows me to overcome that imposter syndrome and say, no, I'm here for a reason. And there's no other Brittany Janine on planet Earth that's going to give it to you the way that I'm going to give it to you. I love that. And man, there's so much truth in that. I know for me, even people were like, oh, did you always know you were supposed to be doing real estate? Or And I'm like, yeah. no, absolutely not. I just took it one step at a time. And I love that. For somebody, though, that's listening that they say, okay, she does already have, look at that. She has people who she's helped get seven figures, eight figures. So I don't want to compare myself to where she is today. But what did she do when she was just starting out to be able to even get that first client, that second client? What were those? Those tips that she was turning to when she didn't already have the album. Yeah. Let me tell you something. The, the beginning, Brittany, felt like she had to look the part. Remember I told you I had to have the walkie-talkie the whole nine yards. And so I had the <laughs> I had the phone line. Thank you for calling such and such to reach such and such. And it was just <laughs> me. Why do we have dial one for this person? It's just Brittany going to answer every number that you dial. And so right. ultimately... I'm going to say scale back. Don't do not be afraid to use what you already have access to. A lot of times what we try to do is build this massive business based off of what we're seeing online. And this person does it this way. But no, back up and say, OK, in order for me to run this business, 
what is the bare end? We're talking about our newbies, people who are just jumping into this, right? right? What do I have access to? I have access to Google. I have access to my email. I have access to these drag and drop web platforms that are out there. I have access to social. Before you start saying, okay, build a database and I got to get this email marketing strategy and I got to get, no. What is the bare bones basics of what I need to run my business? And don't get caught up in the hype of what's happening on social media. And a lot of the times we forget about all of the little things. We all just think, and I think the best way to compare it though, or is to even talk about it is when you talk about comparison, you can't compare yourself to someone else's 16th step when it's only your fourth step. Yeah, for sure. You just can't do it. And so for a lot of people, I love to go back because people that are pivoting right now, even if you've had a lot of success, but now you're thinking about making a mega pivot, as you said, right? Now, all of a sudden, it's like reinventing, but I just don't even know where to start. And I think that's where a lot of people stay stuck because they have the fear more than the the belief that it'll work out on the second side. Like, it's so crazy. So if for somebody that says, okay, I I love what she's saying and I got some things and I want to get started with coaching, but how would I even go about finding my first client? For you, talk about when you first decided that you were going to start coaching, how did you figure out how to even get that first 10K a month? Yeah. Can we back up? Because absolutely. let me me first tell you, I teach business in four parts, right? Business branding, finance and marketing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so what I find is a lot of entrepreneurs jump straight into branding their business, the visual aspect. Okay. What is my website going to look like? What am I going to wear to my photo shoot? What's my logo going to look like? And that really at the end of the day, isn't the core of your business. Yes, it makes it stand out. Yes, it makes it memorable, but you got to back up and you got to roadmap your way forward before you get to branding. Mm -hmm. When you build the visual aspect of your business, it's not about yourself. It's about the person that you're trying to attract. So you have to say, okay, I can't even build this visual aspect until I actually know, let's take it back to that brand definition, my what, why, how, and my who. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then when you have that solidified, then you can move forward in those pieces. Okay. Now, when it comes to those different parts, they all work together. They marry each other. So you can't do business in a way without doing branding and you can't brand and not be able to market it. Okay. So for anybody, I'm going to always say, start at the core, start at the foundation and then build from there. And for you, There's a lot of things that you've pivoted on, but you've still stayed true to who you are. So talk to me about how did you figure out that? Because it feels like you're not only in the belief space, but you're definitely in the purpose and identity space. Yes. Oh, so much the purpose and identity space. That's my heart work. Yes. (laughs) I I love that Um, because so many things. So to answer the question, how did I find it? Oftentimes, people are asking you about your purpose all the time because you're naturally good at it. Mm -hmm. It comes to you. It's like this thing. So for me, people used to ask me all the time, like, Sarah, how are you so strong? Sarah, how are you, you know, how are you so resilient? Sarah, how do you get through? And I'm like, I'm not that strong. Like I'll be crying myself to sleep. People just don't know. You Like people don't, you don't hear my inner self talk. And literally I joke about this all the time, but I'm serious. Even when I'm working out, right? If I'm doing a workout and I feel like my muscles are about to like quiver and give out. I'm like, don't you dare quit, Sarah. You keep on pushing. But no one hears the conversation that I'm having with myself. 
And so I started to, to realize that there are actual tools that I use in order to overcome the things that are coming my way. And so when people were asking me, I was like, well, Sarah, what are you doing? And now I can teach it because what I'm doing works. And so inside of the, the belief and identity standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm an avid reader. Um, I, 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 I listen to a lot of people. I study a lot. And, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza, he has this really incredible analogy. I'm sure you're going to have him on your show too. Uh, you got everybody on the show. Um, but, you know, he, he talks about uh, a thermostat and our identity works very similar to a thermostat. And, you know, Tony Robbins calls it your standard. Bob Proctor calls it your paradigm. I call it an identity. And if you set a thermostat to 74 degrees, right? You set the thermostat in the house of 74 degrees. If it is blazing hot outside, Cool air will pump to make sure that it stays at 74 degrees. Right. If it is freezing cold outside, hot air will pump in to make sure that it stays at 74 degrees. Might get a little bit, but it's going to cool itself back down. It's going to do whatever it needs to do to regulate back to the temperature that it is set at. And our identity is set the same way. If your identity is set to, I'm not worthy, uh, um, no one really cares about me, I'm never going to make it, even if something incredible happens to you, we will find a way to self-sabotage to come back down to where you're set at. And in the same way how, you know, if you're that person that's like, oh, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to be good. I am strong. I am going to make it. Whatever your, your, your story is about yourself, right? If someone talks to you crazy, you will find a way to regulate back to what you set the temperature at. And the mm. thing is, a lot of the time, it's self, it's subconscious. So one, you've got to get clear on what are the stories that you're telling yourself. And the, the thing is, and I just want to give this disclaimer, um, two things. Number one, two out of three people, Casanova, two out of three people, 66% of people have low self-esteem, mm. which means if you feel that way, if you feel like you don't believe in your natural abilities, your gifts and your talents, you're not alone. Look, if you're sitting next to two people, two of y'all are in trouble. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and then the other staggering statistic that blew my mind was that 67% of people don't think that anyone would mind if they died. Mm. If they died. Right. And so what's crazy for me is, you know, a lot of the times entrepreneurs, they think that what they're battling is the strategy and the tools and the resources. And I don't come from this kind of family. No, you're not battling strategy. What most people are battling is worthiness. And that's the story that we have to change. That's the identity that we really have to get crystal clear on. Because confidence and belief and all of those things, they don't happen overnight. It's a muscle. You've got to work it. If you want to be strong, you've got to work it. You don't right. use it, you lose it. The law of atrophy, right? And so it just goes into um, why I'm so passionate about identity is because I believe in whole life happiness. I believe that we can be, do, and have anything we want to be, do, and have. And you get to choose. I believe that when people understand that anything and everything they want is up to them, they can do it. Like the world would be a better place if people right. would know that worthiness is a birthright. It's not something you earn through, through abilities and, 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 and achievement. You were born into it and we're all worthy 
of all things great and in abundance. When you understand that, you can change the dial on your thermostat, right? You can change the dial on the way that you, the way that you see yourself. And if you're willing to change your identity, all other things will change. And it won't happen overnight, but it will happen over time. That's the episode for today. Let me know if you got any value out of this. If you liked anything about it, reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter, any of the social media networks. And of course, leave me a review, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you're hearing this at. I would love to have a review to show, you know, what you're getting out of this. Is there anything that I could do better? Is there any way that I can add more value to you? So hopefully you all take some action today. That's my show. I love you all. Be great. But remember, we must take action. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 